Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of the Bulls HQ podcast. My name is Mark. Thank you for joining me. Hope you're all doing well in Bulls land there. Today on the show, I've got a guest on to help me break down the week that has been in Bulls basketball. I've got Tyler Plyce from, or formerly from SB Nation's Bloggable. He was a contributor over there. I'm sure if you're following me, then you already know Tyler. So Tyler's joining me today to talk all things Bulls. Tyler, thanks for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. No problem, mate. We've been trying to line it up for a little while. Schedules haven't allowed for it to happen, so happy to have you on uh, on the Bulls HQ podcast. It's been a, a while in the making, but yeah, very glad to have you on. What have you been making of this Bulls season thus far? <laughs> uh, well, making sure that they're tanking properly, but uh, no, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, just looking for improvement, I guess, each game, really. Um, I mean, we know they're not going to be very good as a whole, but you just you want to keep looking for those little improvements from, you know, Laurie and Denzel Valentine and um, you know, those type of guys to make sure they're at least making some improvements with each game. Well, they have been playing pretty well of late, particularly over this weekend. So just lost to the Pelicans. So we're recording this just after the Pelicans game. Pretty good effort from the Bulls from a competitive standpoint, not necessarily an offensive output standpoint. But, um, and of course, they had that win against the Orlando Magic the, the uh, or last night and, and played well against the Heat as well in a six-point loss. So... The team over the last three games or so has been competing. There's definitely been some good signs from Lowry Markkinen who continues to impress and, and continues to show us a little bit of something new every game. So maybe we can start on Markkinen and I'd like to be, get your take on what you've seen from him thus far. Obviously, I've sort of expressed before what I've seen, but interested to get your take on, on what's impressed you most with Markkinen and what you think he can sort of improve on going forward over the next sort of two to three weeks. Yeah, actually, you know, I've been extremely impressed with uh, Laurie, you know, through these first few games. Uh, you know, when they selected him back in June, I wasn't a huge fan of the selection. I, because I, you know, uh, we all, I guess, wanted somebody else. But, um, you know, seeing how he played, you know, this summer with Finland and then in the preseason and then these first few games, I mean, it's very hard to pick any, you know, really nitpick his performance. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is just how, relaxed he's been in his first few games as an NBA professional. Um, you know, a lot of times with rookies, they can tend to be uh, sped up a lot and make a lot of mistakes and just kind of look, um, I don't know, uh, just out of control at times. But with Laurie, you just don't get that sense. And I know you mentioned that actually tonight on Twitter while watching. Um, I think that's been the most impressive thing with me. Is just he seems very even keel. He doesn't really get sped up too much. Um, you know, and his shot has translated from the EuroLeague with Finland, and that's been, you know, a huge plus for a Bulls team that needs shooting. Um, so that's been good. And then his driving ability, he's put the ball on the floor quite a bit. Tonight he blew by Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins a couple times for some dunks. Um, so that's been encouraging as well. Um, and then defensively, I honestly, I, I think he's been pretty solid on that end. He, you know, he rarely seems like he's out of place. He, you know, he seems to be communicating well with Robin Lopez and, uh, making sure he's, you know, rotating when he should be. So, um, you know, obviously there's going to be some bumps in the road. Like tonight, you know, he didn't shoot that well from three on his first, you know, back-to-back in the in the league. But, um, no, I've been I've been really impressed. And, I, you know, I'm excited to kind of see how he improves throughout the year. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the back-to-back there. And I think that's important to to take into account given, given his shooting tonight. So he's 5 or 16 from the field. Two from 11 from the three-point line, but he still managed to find uh, a way to score 14 points. And, and like you mentioned, he was putting the ball on the floor and getting some, I think he had three dunks at one point. So he may have had more off um, at the end of the game, but I, I definitely can remember three at least. So he's definitely found another way to score the ball, which has been, been, been very pleasing. And as someone as well who didn't necessarily want the Bulls to take Mark at pick seven, I've been extremely impressed with what he's been able to do so early. I guess what we're seeing from him now was what I was expecting after maybe season two or three, but he looks so poised the way he carries himself. Like, perfect example tonight, his, his shot was obviously struggling. He couldn't really get it going, and having to play against DeMarcus Cousins and, and Anthony Davis isn't an easy task, but you didn't really ever see him get frustrated at all, um, and he just kept kept working, which is really, really encouraging, and Something else that sort of popped out, I think, a game against the um, 
the Orlando Magic, what his was he was sort of starting to find the find guys on the perimeter with his assists. So he had three assists against the Magic and four against the Pelicans tonight. So I think his passing game is another element of his game that I wasn't expecting to be this good this early. Oh, totally. I think tonight in the first half, he caught the ball down in the post and <laughs> he had a wraparound pass um, right in front of the Bulls bench for an open three. I can't. Remember, I think it was uh, to Justin Holiday, if I remember correctly. But I mean, even a type of pass like that to just know that you have a teammate behind you in the corner and then wrap it around, you know, kind of a la Ginobili. Um, it was just, you know, that kind of caught me off guard as well. I didn't know he had that in his repertoire. So, um, no, it's just those little things that you, you wouldn't see a rookie, especially a seven footer be able to do. And he's doing it this early on in his career. And it's just been, you know, very, very impressive. That, that's, that's really all I can say is just, it's been, you know, more than what I imagined, you know, in his first few games. Yeah, most definitely. And he gets the heat when he had 25 points and eight rebounds. We saw the put-back dunks. We saw the mid-range shot. I think he was even scoring in the post as well on, on, on a, hook shot, a hook shot as well. So he's definitely shown more than what I thought he could do. Maybe it was he just wasn't used in that way in Arizona. Perhaps that sort of uh, clouded my perspective on him a little bit and we didn't necessarily see the best of him at college. But the shooting definitely has translated, but there's so much more to his game that I just didn't know he had at this point. So... He has been awesome to see, and even though today he had a, a bad shooting game, I, I was still very encouraged with uh, what I saw from him. The only, I guess, negative that I saw from Mark and tonight was when he sort of took those three-pointers and Anthony Davis con- contested the shot. Mark and sort of lost Davis on, on the trail. Davis really sort of blew out into, onto, into transition, and DeMarcus Cousins, I think, hit him twice on the transition bucket for the dunk. So that's just another thing that... Mark needs to sort of learn, but again, he's only eight game in, eight games into his career, so he can't be too hard on the kid. But he's yeah, he's been pretty 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 amazing, and he's been the, clearly the best offensive player on the Bulls already, which is kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think a little bit of that too with those uh, you know with Anthony Davis leaking out. I think the guard, you know, the lead guard has to know that if you know Laurie's shooting that shot and Davis is leaking out, he's got to you know make sure he leaves a little bit early too to help. So it can't be all on Lori, I don't think, on, on those type of possessions. But um, the other thing too was, um, you know, posting up tonight, you know, I know, you know a lot of teams are starting to switch that pick and pop action that they run and putting a little marketing on the perimeter. And they've started to put them in the post. And a couple, there's a, quite a few times, I think tonight, at least three or four where marketing had the ball um, in a mismatch, or not the ball, but he had position in the post on a mismatch, and the guards, um, or whoever had the ball at the time, just failed to get him the ball against that mismatch. And um, I feel like that's been kind of like an underlying theme through these first few games is just the team being unable to recognize those mismatches with Markinen, and then when, if they do, actually getting him the ball uh, when he does have position. So that's something I think I'd like to see a little bit better uh, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, and, and it's probably uh, another good point to raise in the fact that Markman is doing all this whilst playing with maybe one of the worst point guard rotations in the NBA, so it's kind of scary to think what he could actually be doing when he's paired with a quality perimeter player that can actually can, can create off the dribble as well as recognize when he does have those mismatches. I think that'll be interesting to see. I'm not necessarily sure if, if uh, Zach Levine is the guy that can... I guess, help him do that. I think Levine's not necessarily the greatest creator, but even just playing with a bit point guard that can just get in the ball a little bit, I think that would be kind of huge for his game just to see how he can sort of play in those pick-and-pop scenarios with a point guard that knows how to execute or even you know a point guard that recognizes the mismatch. Jerry and Grant obviously isn't a natural point guard and can make the simple play in pick-and-rolls and pick-and-pops like he often does with Robin Lopez, but he's not necessarily as good sort of, I guess, dictating the off- offense and, and recognizing where a weakness is. So it'll be interesting to see what, you know, how good marketing can actually be when he has a good point guard on on the same roster as him. But um, I guess that's a bit of a, a segue into my next point that I wanted to talk to you about was the point guard position. So Chris Dunn is back from injury. He's played pretty well. There's been some, some good signs and some bad signs as well. And obviously Jerry and Grant as well. He's continuing to do his Jerry and Grant type things where he's, he's 
racking up the numbers, uh, close to a triple-double tonight, but not necessarily making an impact with those numbers. And as I mentioned before, not a natural point guard. Honestly, I thought Chris Dunn would be starting by now. Uh, after the after the Heat game, I, I expected Grant to sort of fade away and, and Dunn to sort of slide slide into that point guard spot by the week by the time the week had ended, but that obviously didn't happen. Interested to get your thoughts on the, the point guard battle and what you've made of Grant's game as well as Dunn's. Yeah, I think um, I'm right there with you when I thought that Dunn would uh, take over the starting spot after the Heat game. He was very impressive, uh, you know, and watching him, was that Wednesday night? Um, or at least Wednesday night my time. But, um, yeah, it, it feels like it's kind of a give and take with both of them. Um, there's no real great selection right now. Um, I think Grant probably had his best game tonight. Um, like you said, he almost had a triple-double. He had zero turnovers and uh, didn't really seem to be like he was forcing the issue too much. Um, Dunn, on the other hand, it, you know he brings you that defense that's very important, um, a little bit more playmaking than Jerry and Grant does. However, he's got a turnover issue right now. I think it was Cody Westerlund um, had tweeted this out earlier. Um, very... Let's see, what was it? What did he say? Yeah, I mean, Dunn has definitely had a, a turnover issue. He, he he had, um I think it was five turnovers in the game against the Heat, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he had three tonight against the Pelicans, and I'm sure he would have had a few against uh, against the Magic as well. So he's definitely got a turnover issue, as you're sort of alluding yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, I just found Cody's uh, stat here. He says, Chris Dunn has 17 turnovers in 93 minutes this season. And then on the other hand, yeah. Jerry and Grant is 21 of 63 on field goals. So it's like, it's kind of like a push and pull thing with both of them. Neither one of them is a complete player um, at this point in their career. So it's, you know, and it's it's a tough spot for Fred too, because, you know, it's not, there's not really a best selection right now with either one of them. So, um, mm. you know, and then behind them, you have Kay Felder and then campaign obviously coming back. So it's just kind of a... <laughs> Kind of a clusterfuck. <laughs> Part of my French uh, point guard. No, uh, no, I didn't know you could speak French, but uh, yeah, that's you're, you're definitely right. You're definitely right. You know, it's but I mean, just to illustrate your point against uh, against the, the Magic, Dunn had. I'm um, just looking at this now. Four turnovers and two assists against the Miami Heat. He had five turnovers and five assists, and against the Pelicans tonight four turnovers and three assists. So not one game where you had more assists than turnovers, which is obviously pretty bad from an assist-to-turnover ratio perspective. And if your point guard is making that many turnovers in so few minutes when he's actually kind of a low-usage point guard, it's, it is concerning. It is, you know, and it's like there's a couple of times tonight where he's just dribbling off his foot and, you know, it's just like, come on, man. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, you try to justify this trade, obviously going back for, you know, Jimmy Butler and, you know, you want to see some signs, and there are a little bit, but, you know, the turnover saying has to be a big focal point for him right now to get those down because, you know, you're not, it's, you're putting Fred in a tough position to justify playing you over during Grant when you have so many turnovers and he can't trust you with the ball uh, to be out there on the floor to run the offense. So um, it's definitely not an ideal situation. Both, I think both guards in and in, on a good team are maybe second and third options, and you know, you're asking them to play almost starter minutes and run a, you know, run an NBA offense on their shoulders. So it's, it's, it's definitely tough. I can't imagine, you know, <laughs> trying to decipher being Fred, you know, the minutes and, and what to do there. So um, I'll, I'll give Fred a little bit of credit and how he's handling it thus far. Yeah, definitely. And, and I guess you can't just dump Grant as well. Like it's easy for fans to sort of be over Jerry and Grant because I guess they're used to him already. They know what Jerry and Grant is, whereas Chris Dunn is the new toy. He's the guy that was the fifth overall pick last season. He's part of the Jimmy Butler trade and potentially still has some upside in him. So I understand why fans are pretty keen on seeing Dunn play over Grant. But at the same time as a coach, you can't just sort of throw Grant away and put him to you know, to the second unit or even have Kay Felder playing over him or something stupid like that, moving him into the third string where you don't want to kill Jerrion's Grant's confidence in doing so just to sort of play Dunn. And really, it's up to Dunn to take over from Grant. You can't just be awarded the starting point guard position just because he may have some more potential than Grant or he has, you know, obviously more athletic ability and he's a better defender. Dunn needs to take that spot off Grant, uh, sorry, off 
yeah, off Grant, but he hasn't done that at the moment. And it's a little bit disappointing because I was expecting him to to go past Grant at this point, given that Grant just can't buy a shot at the minute. I'm, I'm not sure what his three-point percentage is, but I'll be surprised if it's in double digits at this <laughs> point. It's been it's been really bad considering... And it's actually a little bit disappointing because his three-point shot came on last season, but uh, he's been shooting really poorly this year. But um, yeah, like you mentioned... Obviously, Dunn has issues handling the ball. Grant has his issues, I guess, finding and recognizing the right offensive play to make, particularly when trying to get the ball into the or trying to throw that entry pass into market. And particularly, I think that's the one that's really annoying Bulls fans at the moment. But um, it'll be interesting to see how the ball the Bulls manage this point guard scenario going forward. Do you think they need to find a veteran point guard of sorts to sort of help manage this situation? Or is it just going to be purely a situation where Grant and Dunn are getting all the point guard minutes and and trying to find their way through it, I guess? Uh, I think you could do both. Um, I think, you know, you have to give Dunn and Grant time to work through their mistakes and try to correct their mistakes and try to improve on the court because... You know, it is a rebuilding season. There's no real pressure on them um, to be, you know, to really succeed as a team right now. They just want to see improvements each game. And I guess from my standpoint is, you know, you just want to give them that leeway and see if they can figure it out. Um, I don't think, you know, switching point guards, you know, around like they did last year is going to help anything. Um, but if they, you know, I do think bringing in a veteran wouldn't be a bad idea um, just as sort of like a mentor role and maybe play some spot minutes here and there, but not to really take, you know, huge minutes away from either one of those two, but just to help them um, see things on the floor a little bit better, teach them kind of how to lead, um, some of those things. So, um, I mean, at least that's that's my perspective on that piece. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And the reason why I've, I asked that question, it's been something that's been on my mind for a while, but the Bulls played, obviously, the Pelicans tonight and seeing Jameer Nelson sort of run the, that Pelicans second unit, I wonder if, the Bulls can sort of look to the buyout market hopefully a little bit later on in the season where they can pick up someone like like a Jameer Nelson who, you know, is in his mid-30s, not necessarily can play 20, 20, 25, 30 minutes or something like that. But, you know, when the team needs someone to actually go in there with some veteran savvy that can run right. an offense a little bit, that would be nice to see. But like you mentioned as well, just to have someone there mentoring Grant and Dunn on, on how to be an NBA point guard. Because at the moment... I'm of the opinion that neither Grant or Dunn is projecting at the moment to be an NBA point guard, more so a combo guard off the bench. I'm not sure how you feel about that statement, but that's sort of where I'm leaning at, the, at this time. Yeah, I would agree. I would almost even say once Levine, Levine sorry, comes back, you know, maybe you even put the ball in his hands as a primary ball handler and you play Jerry and Grant off or Chris Dunn maybe off ball a little bit more um, since that seems to be where they'll probably be the best fit. But uh, one name that I kind of just popped up into my mind as you talked about bringing in a veteran from the buyout market is, what are your thoughts on the name Darren Williams? Yeah, I mean, interesting. Obviously, he had Illinois connections. Um, not sure what he's doing at the moment, whether he's just chilling. Not sure what, he's, what his body's, how his body's fearing at the moment, whether he's sort of kept it in shape or not. But uh, look, it, it could be an option. He was pretty good for the Cavs during the season. Obviously, he was terrible in the playoffs and in the finals. But uh, depending on how he's looking physically and, and if he's sort of maintained basketball shape, I think that could be an option. I don't think the Bulls would do it simply because they've obviously invested in pain and they sort of picked up Felder as well. But I don't mind that option, to be honest with you, assuming that Williams would be invested in being that mentor type. I'm not sure if he's necessarily be interested in doing that or if he's purely looking for a contract on a winning team. But it's certainly the type of option I'd be looking of, you know, a veteran point guard that can come in and help the guy. So if he's up for it, I wouldn't mind it. I don't, I don't see why you would play Cameron Payne over him. But um, don't know what the Bulls would be thinking in that scenario as well. But um, yeah, look, it's it's an option. <laughs> and we'll see how the Bulls sort of progress through the season. But um, look, let's move off the starting point guard issue because I think it's going to be a theme that's going to be sort of lingering and... I'm sure I'll be banging on it for a few weeks going forward anyway. But um, I wanted to talk to you about the rotational changes that Fred Hoiberg has made, namely at small forward. So obviously, uh, Paul Zipser's gone from the bench, uh, sorry, from starting at small forward to the bench. And he's sort of playing more as a power forward now than a small forward. And in his place, 
David Nwabo has gone to the starting small forward position and Nwabo has looked incredible but unfortunately got injured today in the, in the Pelicans game. Looks like an ankle sprain, so I'm not too sure how long he will be out for. But uh, what have you made of that change that Fred Hoiberg has made? Yeah, I mean, I think it was needed. Um, as an early as an early member of Zipser Hive last year, it's very, it's very upsetting to kind of see him struggle early on uh, this far. It's just... You know, with Zipser, it's it just seems like you know he's a player that's very slow and he's not very quick, and it's hard for him to make plays off the bounce. And when you surround him with players that really aren't able to do that, it's very tough for him to be successful. And I think that's what we're seeing so far. Um, and so, I think it was the right move um, to put Nawaba in that starting lineup to replace him. And I've loved everything I've seen from Nawaba so far. Um, I mean, he does all those little things that you want somebody to do in a role that he has. Um, you know, you don't need him to go out there and score 15 points or anything like that. You need somebody that goes out there, plays defense, gets rebounds, you know, does those little dirty things um, that you need on a team. And so, and he's done that. I mean, he's, he runs the floor hard. He gets out, um, runs his lane. Uh, he gets offensive rebounds. He gets extra possessions for the offense on defense. You know, he's, you know, between him and Dunn, they're the two best defenders. You know, he sticks his nose in there. He gets around on the pick and rolls and, you know, he's been awesome. I, I, you know, I'm not sure I, other than maybe a shooting, um, you know, that's the only deficiency I've seen so far. And hopefully the injury isn't, you know, one that keeps him out for too long because I think he's been awesome and I've loved, you know, watching him out there so far. Yeah, definitely. And he was, he was the best player on the court against the Magic, 16 points, five rebounds, uh, plus 21, I believe, for the game as well and shot over 50%. He was definitely the best player on the court. He was just grabbing rebounds, pushing the ball in transition, almost on one man fast break on a couple of possessions. So Fred put him in there for a pace perspective to push the pace, and, and, and Noir has definitely done that and has sort of moved the ball um, off those rebounds himself. So he's definitely been a positive, and, and I think against the Heat as well, I think he had 11, 11 rebounds in that game. So he's a, he's a tremendous rebounder, and he's almost like, I mentioned this on Twitter as, before as well, he's, he's He's basically a power forward in a shooting guard's body. He's only six foot four, but he plays small forward. And he, the way his game sort of plays, he's just that energy big man. But he's obviously just a little bit shorter than that. But he, that game sort of does translate onto the perimeter. And and if he can find himself a corner three, and I believe he hit a corner three today in the Pelicans game before he got injured. I think he, the Bulls have really found a player here, which is obviously encouraging to see. But hopefully he isn't out too long. But as you sort of mentioned before. The good thing that it also has done is it's put Paul Zipser to the bench, and I think it's put him back to his natural position of power forward, at least in the NBA. Do you think he's going to be more successful as a power forward or as a small forward? I think probably better suited as a power forward. I know last year he had some success in the small forward role, and I think that was mostly due to the guys he had around him. But, yeah, I, I think he's probably better suited given his size and athletic ability. At the you know As a power forward, you can use him. Um, as a pick and pop guy and somebody who can just spot up around the perimeter um, and then take advantage of, you know, certain power forwards who, you know, might be a little bit bigger than them and he can get around. Um, so it, it'll be interesting. I think a lot of it will all, you know, will mostly depend on it. it. I think it even goes into the Felicio issue is, you know, who do you have surrounding him that can get him easy opportunities to score? Um, because if you're putting him around guys that can't penetrate or create offense, you know, it's very, then it, you make things difficult for him because then he's relying too much to do that. Um, and then you see him start making mistakes and throwing up bad shots and, you know, giving up turnovers. So um, I think he has the potential to be good in that role. Um, but I do think a lot of it depends on who you're going to surround him with um, in that second unit. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And you mentioned Felicio there, and, and that's something as well that I wanted to talk you talk to you about because... Uh, I know you're on Zipser Hive. I'm pretty sure you're on the equivalent of uh, is it, was it Felicio Hive? What, what was the name for that? Uh, that NBA Twitter was, or Bulls Twitter was sort of going with. Uh, I think, but I'm pretty sure you were leading yeah. that bandwagon too. But um, yeah, let's talk about Felicio because he's obviously had some issues this season. He obviously got paid a a, a decent amount of money during the off season. I think it was four years, thirty two million. So he's making about eight million a season. Definitely does not look like an eight million dollar player at the moment, and as a backup center, he's been really ineffective. But to your point, and it's something I want to expand on because I know the narrative around him is very negative at this point, but 
you have to also look at who he's playing with. So interested to get your take on Felicio and whether you think his game at this point is salvageable. Yeah, as a as an early member and leader of Felicio Island, this one probably hurts me the most to see him struggle so far. <laughs> it's you know, it it is. I think, you know, part of it is he he isn't playing well. He's he's playing really bad right now and I think that part of that is on de- on defense. Um you know, you can see right now he had, what, three fouls in six minutes in, like, the first half. Um, yep. You know, he's just not moving his feet well. He's all arms. He's reaching. He's all over the place. And he just seems really out of sync on that end. And I don't know if his offense, you know, his struggles on that end are kind of translating onto the defensive end. Um, but, yeah, it's really discouraging to see how much he's struggling on defense, you know, and just fouling and just all over the place. Um, and then on offense, you know, again, with like Zipser, he's not somebody you want to rely on to create offense for himself. Um, you have to put him in a position to where he can get easy baskets, whether that's, you know, through lobs or through pocket passes or dump downs. Um, you know, and that's why he had a lot of success last year because he was around, you know, Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade who could create their own offense and get him easy looks. And now you're putting him in a second unit with Denzel Valentine, you know, Chris Dunn and... Um, you know, I, I'm missing a couple names, but you put around some guys that really can't create offense for themselves or for teammates, and then you put the ball in Felicio's hands, and it, you know, you can't really expect much out of them. So, um, you know, it's, it's I think it's you know both on him, and I think it's both you know on Fred's running him, you know, not with the right group. So, it, it's definitely discouraging to see so far. Yeah, and I mean, this is the risk of tanking when you have, I guess, limited role players that could be good good NBA players if they were put into the right role, but having to extend themselves in a role that they're not capable of doing. I think Felicio is an example of that. Uh, Jerry and Grant, definitely. Denzel Valentine is another example as well, and, and we've talked about Zipser as well. But it, the second unit for the Bulls at the moment, now that they've made this rotational change with Nwaba going to the starting unit, is Dunn and Valentine in the backcourt, Pondexter and Zipser as the forwards, and Felicio at, in at centre. So... There's just not a lot of creation for that second unit off the bounce. And for a player like Felicio, who was making a living sort of catching oops last season off pick and roll, particularly with Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo, he doesn't really have that option from an offensive perspective. And I wonder if that's translating into his defensive game where he's not necessarily finding that same success offensively and whether that's getting him, I guess, a little bit dispirited and translating into some poor defense on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, totally. And I mean, it's, I kind of feel bad for him too, because even tonight you can see just a visible frustration on his face that, you know, things just aren't going his way right now. And, you know, and to your point, I do think maybe a lot of his struggles that he's experiencing on offense and, is translating onto defense, you know, because when things don't work out on one end, typically it it can translate to the other end. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, I think until some things get figured out with him and the rotation and, you know, you put him around some guys that can give him some easy opportunities, he might continue to struggle, um, you know, so you hope it gets turned around quickly. Yeah, definitely. And not to harp on this point guard issue too much, but I think that's why it's critical to have some sort of stability at the point guard position because it's not just about Jerry and Grant and Chris Dunn trying to develop their own games this mm-hmm. season, but it also affects guys like Markinen, like Felicio, totally. and even someone like Valentine. So there's a risk of letting this point guard issue linger a little bit too long because it's not only going to affect those two guys playing that point guard position, but also those around them. So... Um, and given that the Bulls invested four years into Chris Felicio, it's, it's obviously important they do all they can to help his game as well. But um, he's currently fouling too much, needs to get it together defensively. Do you, do you think he looks right athletically and physically? Does he look a little slow to you out there? He actually does. And I know it's weird too because, uh, you know, you've seen the Bulls offseason, you know, documented through social media. And you can see that he was working out all season long and with the younger guys and, you know, it does, it, you know, especially on defense, he just seems really slow-footed. Um, you know, guys are taking him off the dribble, and he's, you know, he's starting to chase him, which is why he's fouling. You know, you get beat off the dribble, or you get beat in the post, you know, and you're get, trying to catch up, and you're using your arms, and you're fouling everywhere. And so, it was a little bit of an issue for him last year. Um, it wasn't too bad, but then this year, that's like his biggest problem. He's just slow-footed right now, and he's all arms. Um, so, you have to wonder if, you know, 
is it some of the offense or is it that he, you know, maybe he's not quite as in good of shape as we thought he was. So, um, you know, he does definitely look slow on that end right now. Yeah, and, and I guess you never know because we're obviously not there, but hopefully he didn't just catch that check in the offseason <laughs> and just stop working. But um, he definitely he looks a little slower to me for whatever reason. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily comfortable with him sort of hedging out high on pick and roll as, as well as I was last year. I think he was quite good at doing that last year. I'm not comfortable with him doing that now. Um, I was never a big believer in his sort of help defense and his, and his rim protection, but that's looked even worse this season. So... Felicio is definitely someone that the Bulls need to monitor because he's probably been the most disappointing player, I think, thus far this season. Uh, yeah, I can agree. And I think I think also, too, a lot of it might have to be mental with him as well. He seems like a guy that you really kind of have to stay on and be positive with from a mental mm-hmm. standpoint um, because he seems yep. like somebody who could be easily, you know, if things don't start going his way, he could really start getting down on himself a little bit too much. And so... Um, I think that's something you'll you know you'll probably want to watch out this season is kind of how Lopez interacts with him and some of those older guys to try and keep him upbeat through his struggles. Yeah, definitely, and and we've been talking about I guess role players having to extend themselves past what they're capable of doing, and I think another one that was sort of really really struggled this season is Justin Holiday, and he's been shooting the ball particularly poorly. Uh, seven from twenty today against the Pelicans. 10 of those 20 shots were three-pointers. He only made three of those. I think against um, the Heat, he was three from 15 from memory. Uh, so 20% from the field. Nine of those 15 shots were from three. And against the Miami Heat, he was... Uh, sorry, against the Orlando Magic, he was better, scoring 14, 14 first-quarter points and, and overall had 19 points for the game on 12 shots. So he, he played much better against the Magic and looked like that preseason Justin Holiday against the Magic, but sort of reverted back to that inefficient wing again today against the Pelicans. What's up with Justin Holiday? He's obviously shooting terribly. His defense has been okay, but are the Bulls just making too much of, of, of his role at the moment? Is, is, are they asking him to do way too much than he can possibly do? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And you know, Zach Lowe from ESPN alluded to it in his Friday column of, of 10 things he likes and doesn't like. And one of the things that he didn't like was the green light that Holiday has right now. Um, mm. And he's right. You know, I think it, it's kind of along the same lines, maybe not to a greater extent, but as you know, how we're, we were talking, asking Felicio and Zipser to do too much on the offensive end. Um, I think that might be the same thing that's happening with Justin. You know, he's good in a certain role. Um, but right now when you're asking him to be the biggest playmaker on the offensive end, uh, I think that just too out of his wheelhouse, um, for what he's capable of. And so I think that pressure is just too much for him right now. And, you know, we're seeing it translate to his poor shooting and taking a lot of tough shots, um, because there's really nobody else that can really create offense outside of him. And so he's being put into a lot of difficult positions on offense to create shots for himself and, to generate points for the Bulls offense and you know you're, you're seeing that translate to poor shooting uh, you know so I, I just think it is one of those deals again where he's just in a position that's just I think maybe too large for what he's what he's capable of yeah and I made again this this comment on Twitter as well but I felt like watching that Pelicans game that he was probably more needed on the Pelicans than the Bulls um, the Pelicans definitely definitely need someone at small four that can sort of just sit in this, those corners and shoot those threes and not necessarily create off the dribble. They need that release option and, and you know obviously that type of player with that we've seen it with Holiday at the moment with Chicago that guy that does have the green light and is taking twenty shots a night on on some nights. The Bulls don't really need that player in a rebuilding season given that Holiday is obviously a twenty eight year old. He's not some young hotshot wing prospect. So. It's interesting. I think part of it is Holiday's role. I think they they do need to limit his his uh, shooting at the moment because I just feel every time he runs off a screen at this point, the shot is going up, and and a lot of those shots are mid range jumpers, which we know is it the most efficient shot going around. And I think it's playing a part in the Bulls being one of the uh, the worst offensive teams <laughs> in the league. So it'll be interesting to see how his role changes when Levine is back. Now we obviously don't know what's going on with Nwaba and how long his injury will be. But do you think 
when once Levine's back, that Holiday stays in the starting lineup or whether he goes back to the bench in a role he's more comfortable in and Nwaba starts? Or, or how do you think the or how do you think that Hoiberg will sort of manage that situation? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I think obviously we have to wait and see what happens with Nwaba's ankle, but. Um, I think we'll see when Levine comes back, I think we'll see Justin kind of move back into that role he's comfortable with um, and that he was so good at with a short time with the Bulls previously and with the Knicks last year. Um, so I, I think we'll see him probably perform a little bit better once that pressure's taken off his shoulders. Um, you know, as far as the lineup goes, I, you know, I think I'd like to see him with Levine in the starting lineup. Um, just to see how that works out. But I also realize that the second unit does need some playmaking. Um, so I could also see Horberg bringing him off the bench to kind of lead that second unit a little bit to, you know, help generate some offense with them. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, it's a good question. I don't know. I, it just kind of depends on how everyone progresses to the point when Levine is back. And, you know, you know, I think to start, my gut tells me that Horberg's going to have Levine starting with Holiday. Um, and then probably make adjustments from there. Yeah, look, I would expect Holiday to remain in the starting lineup as well, particularly that he, I guess, he's one of the team leaders. He's the newly acquired free agent, and um, obviously they're not paying him a huge amount of money, but at the same time, he, I won't say he was a marquee signing, but he was probably <laughs> their biggest signing in the offseason, maybe. But um, I, look, I would expect Holiday to maintain his position in the starting lineup, pushing over to the small forward position, but. Yeah, his shooting has been terrible. It's he's barely over thirty percent from the field and thirty percent from the three point line. So, and when sixty percent of your shots are coming from the three point line, um, if you're shooting that poorly from three, then obviously that's going to affect the, your field goal percentage in general. But um, hopefully he can turn it around because he, he, I think he can be a serviceable serviceable player for the Bulls, but he hasn't been to date. But um, we'll see what happens. But. Something else that sort of crept up on me, and I only just realized it after this game concluded, is we've reached the point where the Bulls have played their first eight games. They're obviously two and six after those eight games, but um, it also means that Bobby Portis's suspension is now technically up. He's free to re- uh, rejoin the team and to, I guess, play basketball again. Unclear whether he'll actually be in the rotation when he gets back. Fred Hoiberg was asked about the possibility about Bobby Portis playing next game and pretty much just said we'll, we'll, we'll see so he didn't really give away too much but this sort of crept up crept up on me entirely I almost forgot that Bobby Portis was on the team <laughs> um, we, we've talked about the rotational changes and Paul Zips are going back to power forward obviously Nwaba starting and we don't know what's going to happen with Nwaba and his injury but um, that may make Portis coming back straight away and, and he may actually be playing minutes straight away how do you feel personally about Portis being back before Miritich is actually able to ride a bike, let alone play basketball? Yeah, you know, it doesn't sit really well. Um, you know, I've been around basketball a long time. I've played in high school. I've played in college. I've I've been around those intense moments in practice with a teammate. Um, and you're coaching now, right, as well, aren't you? Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm coaching with a local high school here. And, you know, you encourage that kind of intensity in practice because it, it forces you to compete. Um, but I've never been around in a situation where another player has like has punched or even thought about punching a teammate in the face, let alone putting him in the hospital. Um, so it's just it's just I think the suspension is I think for them is kind of like a middle ground for them. But I, I definitely thought it should have been longer for considering what happened with Miritich and being in the hospital. And um, it, it doesn't sit the best with me, um, you know. And, and personally, I don't think they'll finish the season together, Portis and Mirotic. I Eventually, I think one of them is going to be with a new team. Um, who that is, I don't know. I think it'll probably end up being Nico. He'll probably waive his no-trade clause. Um, yeah. You know, and you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you saw it this morning. I think it was this morning or, or yesterday, but Callie was on Joe Callie of the Chicago Sun-Times, which I know all of us are big fans of. But <laughs> um, he, he said something interesting that, you know, the, the action from Portis wasn't, didn't come as a surprise to everybody on the team that, you know, some of the younger players were offended that Meritich wasn't working out with them during the summer. He's doing it on his own. Um, and they took offense to that. Um, so I thought that was an interesting quote that he put out there. Yeah. And, and I guess this is part of the issue with your story, which is something I've talked about before, but 
I don't know how much of what I can believe and who I can believe and what's right and what's wrong because there's been sort of things that have been reported inconsistently almost or we don't necessarily know the full picture. So it's hard to almost comment on the situation. But if that is true, it's kind of concerning that the team would be siding with the player that knocked someone out <laughs> over the guy that actually had his face broken. Like, right. obviously, there's a, there's an issue between those two players and, and we can talk about that. But to have the... To have his teammates not feel anything for Miritic and actually be siding with the guy that clocked him, it's kind of a weird weird locker room <laughs> dynamic. Um, so I don't know how much to believe in that because that just seems to go against common sense. But if it's true, that is concerning. Oh, totally. It just it kind of speaks to almost the culture of like, what is going on? Like, you know, what are they doing? Um you know, and, you know, it's just, it's just kind of baffling because you, you've never, when was the last time you've heard of anything like this before ever happening? Like, <laughs> I, I yeah. don't know. It's, 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 you know, it, for them, it does seem like even when it originally happened, it did have the impression that they were trying to side a little bit more with Bobby and try and put a little bit of the blame on Nico, like he was instigating the, the, the altercation. So, um, I don't know. It is a very different dynamic um, to look at. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out when Portis comes back and then Nico eventually comes back. I don't think they'll be able to last the whole year together. So how the team handles it moving forward is probably going to hover around the entire organization the rest of the you know foreseeable future. Yeah, definitely. And, and Miritic can't be traded until after January 15th. So it's going to be a story that lingers until that point at least. So but uh, yeah, like I mentioned before, it just his suspension being up sort of crept on up crept up on me. I guess I didn't realize completely just until yeah. before. So obviously, it's going to be an issue with Portis and Miritich, but it's going to be uh, not an issue. But it'll be interesting to see how Hoiberg manages his assimilation back into yeah. the team and what that will sort of impact in terms of rotations. How how he'll be playing behind Markinen, whether he's the starting or sorry the reserve power forward, or whether Zipsa remains in that position. It's just going to be an interesting dynamic, um, irrespective of what happens between him and Miritich. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens, but he'll be back for the first game uh, this week, I believe. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is Zach Levine inking a four-year, thirty-five million dollar deal with Adidas. Were you nervous when you read that, <laughs> like I was, given that he's a Chicago Bulls point guard? Well, not a point guard, but a guard who's obviously had some ACL issues, who's now signing a deal with Adidas. Did that sort of bring back some weird feelings for you as a teammate? Yeah, yeah, it did. When I, when I saw it pop up, I, you know, it definitely brought back those memories. I think I woke up in a cold sweat this morning, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is. It's one of the first things you have to think of, obviously, with this type of situation. Um, hopefully, you know, things turn out a little bit better for Zach than they have with Derek, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, you cannot not think about what happened before with the same type of situation. Yeah, exactly. And look, he's, he's, he's got, a, got himself a good deal, a four-year, $35 million deal. I don't, I don't think the $35 million is guaranteed. There's incentives there that would would uh, drive that number up towards $35 million. But I guess it speaks to his marketability of some sorts. And, and I'll be interested to see how this will affect his free agency. Obviously, his play and how he looks uh, recovering from that ACL will drive his, his uh, I guess, his price in the offseason more so than what his shoe deal is as is at the moment. But it'll be interesting to see how how he and his management team use this in negotiations when they come to leverage contract talks with the Bulls because he clearly added, I see him as someone that's marketable and obviously the, the Bulls are searching for that new franchise face as well. So I wonder how much that plays into contract negotiations. Uh, yeah, I think it will. I mean, I think the Bulls see Zach and the type of player he is as seeing somebody who can be very marketable, especially in a city like Chicago. Um, you know, I think they see him as kind of that next era almost. And I think even from Zach's perspective, I think you kind of have to look at around the league, you know, you know, from more of a basketball standpoint, where is he going to get the reins to run his own team um, in free agency? You know, I think that's what he's looking for. And he didn't really have that in Minnesota, you know, with Cat and with Wiggins. You know, here in Chicago, he's got a big marketable city um, where he can grow his brand, but then also he can run the team. Like Chicago can be his, you know, he can be the franchise guy. So, 
Um, I, I think it'll be very tough for him to turn down an opportunity to stay in Chicago for the, you know, for the near future. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So it'll be interesting to see how that sort of plays out. Hopefully he's back soon. Mm-hmm. Um, we've obviously hit November now, so he can't be too far away, probably a few more weeks away. It'd be interesting again to see how the Bulls and the players sort of manage that situation. Obviously it didn't go down too well last time around when a player was returning from an ACL injury. So uh, hopefully it's a little bit smoother in terms of both parties being, I guess, happy with how things are progressing. But um Look, looking ahead in, in terms of the, the games that are coming up, so the Bulls have a little bit of a break here. They, next game is against the Raptors on Tuesday uh, away at Toronto. Then they have a game on Friday against the Indiana Pacers and then at San Antonio on Saturday. So an interesting week coming up. Some good teams in there, particularly Toronto and San Antonio. Probably going to be a good week for the tank, I would assume. Uh, yeah, those are pretty three pretty tough teams, you know. Toronto's playing really well right now, and so is San Antonio, even without Kawhi and Tony Parker. But, man, I don't know if you've had a chance to check out the Pacers, but they are, I mean, considering losing Paul George and how they're playing right now, I mean, they're pretty exciting to watch. Um, You know, Turner just came back, but Oladipo's been playing out of his mind, and um, uh, Sabonis has been playing well, and they're actually, you you know, they're pretty enjoyable to watch, so... You know, that's definitely going to be a tough game for them as well, in addition to those two other ones. Yeah, for, for sure. Indiana probably been maybe the biggest surprise, or at least one of the biggest surprises thus far in this season. Oladipo looks like an all-star. It'll be interesting just how the how he plays against the Bulls and how they go to containing him. But even Sabonis has been terrific as well. He looks like a completely different player in Indiana than what he looked like in OKC, so I'm interested to get a closer look at them. I haven't necessarily watched an entire Pacers game, bits and pieces here and there, but obviously I won't be watching the entire thing when they play the Bulls, and and it's, you know the Bulls have obviously played the Spurs already. I'm assuming the Spurs will uh, take care of the Bulls pretty easily in that one, as they typically tend to do, but I, I, I'm interested to see how the Bulls go against the Raptors as well, because typically the Bulls have had their way with Toronto, it'd be, it would be highly amusing if they could still beat the Toronto Raptors, even though Jimmy Butler has gone. I know that's not necessarily a good thing for the tank, but it would be it would be kind of funny for the Bulls to maintain their winning ways against the Raptors, even without Jimmy Butler. <laughs> yeah, that would be that'd be entertaining if they could pull that one off. But yeah, I just think with Lowry and DeRozan, that's just too much scoring for you know this Bulls team to try and keep up with over four quarters. So. Um, no, I mean, it'd be, it'd be entertaining to see if they could, you know, continue, uh, their little streak against Toronto. Yeah, for sure. And I mentioned this last week on the podcast, but it's kind of weird rooting for losses. Like, obviously that's what we want. We're wanting at the moment, want the Bulls to have the worst record as possible to hopefully get the best pick as possible. So I'm constantly on tankathon.com sort of seeing where the Bulls are placed versus their competition for the worst the worst <laughs> uh, records in the league. And they've got some work to do. So the Bulls are 2-6 and six at the moment. They've got the fourth worst record in the league. Dallas are 1-10. and 10. Uh, They've come out of nowhere and have you know been tanking so well. <laughs> they've got the worst <laughs> record in the league at the moment, followed by the Hawks and Kings who are tied at 1-8. and eight. So... The Bulls have got some work to do, so some three losses here on the road. Hopefully, with Markin and playing well, that would be ideal. That way, the Bulls can get to to two and nine, and hopefully, a little bit closer towards having that worst record. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Bulls are bad, but I mean looking at the teams ahead of them, like they're they're legitimately worse. Um, Dallas, yeah. god awful, and I feel bad for Dirk. <laughs> um, you know, Atlanta is you know they got some okay players, but again, they're they're pretty. They're pretty crappy right now. And then Sacramento yeah. is just Sacramento and Dallas, I think, are just on like a whole nother level of awful than the Bulls are right now. Yeah, well the Mavs are on a six game losing streak. Atlanta have lost eight in a row and the Kings, I believe, have lost seven in a row. So that's some that's some top line tanking from those teams and, and the Bulls need to uh, need to get their things in order if they if they're to catch those teams and um but yeah, we'll see how it obviously shakes out. But like I mentioned, I'm going to be referring back to Tankathon pretty much weekly on this podcast because it's probably more relevant than how the team is actually progressing on the court this season. So um, yeah, we'll see how we'll see how the tank goes this week. But it was close to close to falling off this weekend. With it would have been uh, catastrophic with a win against the the Magic and the Pelicans. But thankfully, Robin Lopez, like the true leader he is, 
<laughs> sort of uh, had that poor poor play to close the Pelicans game, missing that easy go-ahead basket, uh, as well as fouling DeMarcus Cousins on the three-point line. That's that's how you lead a tank, my friends. So <laughs> True leadership. <laughs> and, well, whilst we're talking about Robin Lopez, last topic before I let you go, I think we need to give Lopez a bit of a shout-out. Um, I still think he's the best player on the team, even though Markinen has been incredible thus far. But he's been so important, I think, to Markinen's development. And one of the things that I didn't mention before when we were talking about Markinen was his impressive rebounding numbers. But I'm not sure if he's rebounding that strongly without a guy like Robin Lopez sort of boxing out and, and doing the dirty work for him. But even just his demeanor around the team, he, he looks like a true leader of this squad. And, and obviously, there's a lot of... Uh, there's, a, there's a narrative around fans, and I think been included in this, that we sort of need to trade Robin Lopez in order to really fire up that tank. But at the same time, I'm sort of leaning towards the, the position at the moment that keeping a guy like Lopez around is probably super important for a guy like Markin's development. So I just wanted to give Robin Lopez a shout out because he's, most of the time when I talk about him these days, it's in reference to trading him, which isn't obviously something you want to be talking about a player, but I just wanted to give him a shout out because he's been unbelievable this season. Yeah, for sure. I, I've been in that same boat of, you know, at least at least dangling him out there and seeing, you know, what value you can get for him. But like you said, I, th- I think it is also important to keep him around uh, marketing, you know, because you, you do see the kind of mentor role that he's playing right now. And I think that's important for a young guy like marketing. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's been awesome. You can't say enough about what he's, you know, what he's been doing for the team. Yeah, for sure. He's been terrific, as have you, mate. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And and like I said earlier, it's been a while in the making, but hopefully we can do it again some stage. Yeah, totally. Thank you again for you know letting me jump on. It's been awesome. No problem, mate. Thank you. Thank you. That just about does it for the show today. As I mentioned last week, I'm going to be trying to do a podcast every week, uh, assuming my schedule can allow for that. And hopefully the Bulls are good enough to the point where I'm not ripping my hair out to actually encourage me to want to do a podcast every week as well as you, you guys wanting to consume a podcast every week. So let me know if you're wanting more episodes or if, if one a week too, is too many for this team at the moment, just let me know on, on Twitter. It'd be interesting to hear your feedback. Also, I don't really like asking for this, but um, if you would be so inclined, if you could leave me a five-star review on Twi- on uh, iTunes, that would be great as well. And any anything you may have in terms of feedback about the podcast, I'd be interested to hear that as well. Just shoot me a DM on Twitter. So would definitely appreciate your feedback. But look, I'll be back next week most likely covering the, the games coming up ahead. And hopefully the tank job for the Bulls is proceeding as planned. Until then, I'll catch you next week. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.